there's something I just can't shake about all the episodes we've published this year, all the content that we've been, I've been writing about, and certainly all the different stories and concepts that I've been exploring. And, and that is how I frame my entire work, really. It's, I want to know that. It, it's the mountain peak way in the distance. Let's go exploring together and see if we can't figure it out. I have no idea if we will, but, uh, but that's the quest. That's the journey we're on. And in this year's episodes, the journey has centered on one rather, I don't know, hairy, complex, but very ubiquitous problem. Why do so many of us view innovation or creativity like these big, one-off, random stunts? In other words, what would it look like if we could make innovation a habit instead of a Hail Mary? And too often, I think we measure success of new or different or creative things by the random spikes in the results. But, But that's a very real problem for our work. So in this episode today... I'd like to dive into a couple of the frameworks that I've dug up in the last, say, two weeks, and I've been kind of too scared to share them publicly, but hell, that's what I do, supposedly. So I'm just going to come clean and lay it all out for you today. It's raw, it's early, it's important. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. I'm Jay Akonzo, and I'm a little more nervous than I usually am. I'm usually not nervous at all to fire up this microphone today and talk to you. These are kind of the early ideas, the the initial bones of my next keynote. And developing a keynote is a huge, huge process. I did a behind-the-scenes episode of that process a few episodes ago. But uh, yeah, this is me laying all out the bones of the keynote before it's ready whatsoever. If you want to talk about my speaking, I'll put my email in the show notes, you can just email me, jay at unthinkablemedia.com. So let's just get started. And, and the place we need to start is to revisit very briefly a story we've told earlier this year about a valet service at a hotel in Boston, because they do something that uh, at first glance seems great, but it's actually a terrible problem for their business. So pretty standard, you pull up to the front of this hotel, the valet service comes over, you leave the keys, and they hand you a small yellow card. And on the card, which seems innocent enough, it lists the phone number that you can call when you need your car from the valet later on, and then it says, give us your unique ID number listed below, and we'll have your car ready in 30 minutes. Now imagine you're at this hotel. It's later in the day, and you're going to take your car out from the valet. So obviously, you allow for at least 30 minutes when you call them, because that's what you expect them to say. It says it on the card. It's their policy. But instead, when they answer the phone call, they say, your car will be ready in 10 minutes. That's such a nice surprise, right? It's it's like a gift. You expect 30. They said 10. Best of all, if you happen to head to the lobby right away, your car will be ready in five minutes. They message 30, they tell you 10, they deliver in five. They far surpass your expectations. And the thing is, when we exceed expectations with our work, everyone wins. The customer loves it, they're more likely to talk about us to someone else, and we get bigger results, we look better, our teams look better, everybody wins. So why is that yellow card and what happens after you get it such a problem for that valet? Imagine that it's day two of your trip to Boston. Once again, you call the valet with 30 minutes in mind, just to be safe. But you kind of know what to expect this time, right? 
they're going to say 10 minutes. And sure enough, they do. Your car will be ready, not in 30, in 10 minutes. And that feels great, but not as great as yesterday. Still, you at least know that you'll get your car even faster than 10 minutes, so you go right down to the lobby and it's not there. Oh. You glance at your watch. It's been five minutes, still no car. Six minutes goes by, then seven, nothing. You feel this burning sensation in your stomach. You're kinda mad for reasons you recognize as completely irrational. Finally, after 10 minutes, the car arrives. Jeez, took your time, didn't you? So what just happened? You shouldn't be mad at all. After all, their policy is 30, they told you 10, and they delivered in 10. That should feel refreshing, but thanks to yesterday, it feels frustrating. This is the paradox of exceeding expectations. As soon as we do so, even once, we've changed others' expectations of us. What was once exceptional in the minds of our audience, of our teammates, of our bosses, of our clients... What was once exceptional is now what's expected. So now what? Clearly, this valet service can't keep lowering the time it takes to deliver your car. I mean, that's impossible for them to execute. They can't go from 30 to 10 to 5 to 0 and just like idle your car outside on the curb at all times. And by the way, even if they did that impossible thing, just kept your car ready to go at all times, even if they did that, it's still not enough to exceed your expectations because now delivering your car in zero minutes, that's just what you expect of them. They're now just the valet service that does that. It's no longer remarkable. In fact, experienced enough, it can become totally mundane. Isn't that nuts? So what can this valet service do? What can any of us do? I know we all want to exceed expectations more than once to attract and impress buyers to drive bigger results routinely, But what does that take? Given this paradox, is it even possible? We all want to exceed expectations consistently, but that type of constant innovation feels impossible. So what can we do? Well, what we normally do feels a little bit like this. find a way to exceed expectations once. We deliver the car in 10 minutes. We publish an article that people love. We come up with a process that really, really works for our internal stakeholders, for our bosses, for our clients. We do one thing that far exceeds their expectations and momentarily everything is awesome. And we're like, oh yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's, and then it dips. And we're like, oh, uh, well, it's good. We're good. It's good. It's, and then it plateaus. And we're like, oh, no, it's flat. It's flat. Uh-oh, it's flat. Don't panic. We're fine. We're fine. We're, oh, crap. It just dropped off on us. What is happening? It, just, it used to be great. What the heck is going on? Wait, wait, hold on a sec. Hold on. Do you, did you say you had a big idea? Do you, do you want to jump in a room to brainstorm? Wait, wait, wait hold on. What's, what's going on over there? Is that, is that a hot new industry trend? Yeah. What you got there? What is that? Is that some sweet, sweet new technology? Well, let's do it all. Because all of a sudden now we're like, it's great. It's great. We're back to being great. It's great. Oh, come on. Seriously, it's dropping off again. Over and over again, we just keep trying trend after trend, best practice after best practice, launching stunt after stunt, hoping one of them will hit big and stay there. 
anything to spike the numbers. Just give me those spikes. We need the spikes. It's maddening. It's exhausting. It's unsustainable. We keep exhibiting the same pattern. We want to find the one thing and cling to it and apparently get great results forever. And when we don't because, oh yeah, time gets introduced to the equation, when we don't get great results forever, we wait until it's too late and then panic search for that next big idea, technology, trend, or innovation to save us. That is crazy. There's that old definition of insanity that I'm I'm sure you've heard before. It says, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, given how we tend to operate, let's update that definition. Insanity in our line of work is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. Without fail, what's working well now won't last forever. And this process of last-ditch efforts, of screaming innovate across an organization, is just not sustainable. We want to do amazing things over time, but our behavior ignores the effects of time. And then we change only after it's too late, when it's time to panic. And that predictable, steep drop-off from something that exceeded expectations to something that feels good but not as great to something that stagnates to something that drops off. That awful march to irrelevance is called emotional decay. Emotional decay is the process by which others lose interest in our work and we see fewer results due to new variables introduced by the passage of time. We can actually break down this slope downward in results and also the slope downward in how people feel about our work into its various pieces so we can identify what's happening and prevent it. Picture an immediate spike going up on a graph. The results are great in the near term. That's the spike we so crave. That's called the local maximum. It's the initial spike in the numbers, the the point at which others love what we do most and we get our best results. But then over time, we experience the next part of emotional decay, diminishing returns. That spike is only a spike because it goes up quickly and also down quickly. That's what makes it a spike. No matter how much you optimize it or incrementally change it, it's not getting any better or growing at the rate you want. You start to see diminishing returns because people start to feel less excited about it. So then stagnation kicks in. You go from a spike to a downward turn on the back half of that spike to a straight line, a plateau, stagnation. And we're just great today at maintaining those good enough results, aren't we? We're great at maintaining something in a horizontal fashion. We can use all kinds of technology to automate it and just keep it going and just squeeze every last drop of results from it. It's not great like it once was. It's good enough. We are great at good enough. How about we get great at great? And eventually, after stagnation, we reach this dreaded moment that I call the crapping point. I don't know what happened. It just crapped out on us. It used to be awesome. It used to be great. And now, and only now, we need to pull some kind of random stunt to save ourselves. We have to panic search for the next trend, panic jump in a room to brainstorm. It becomes exhausting at this point. 
So emotional decay is this steep and steady and very predictable decline into irrelevance. They love us, then feel fine about us, then start looking elsewhere, then leave. And then we, we panic. We ride out that plateau for far too long, and inevitably, we just fall off a cliff. And it's like, ah. And if we survive that, It's an impossible effort to climb back up to where we once were. And so what we do is we go big. We pull all these stunts. We rely on what I call random acts of creativity instead of consistent innovation. Like a stunt double for the real work, we call upon creativity to radically change something. But here's the thing. Creativity isn't a substitute for the real work. It is the real work. Our jobs aren't to pull random stunts. We have to deliver consistently for our own careers, for our companies, and most importantly, for our customers. Now, the good news is we can learn something from those random acts of creativity. Embedded in all this frenetic and unsustainable pulling of stunts, there is one truth, one thing we're trying to do, just we don't recognize it. And we can pluck out this lesson and apply it to our work more fully, more proactively, and solve these problems. Scientists at the University of Edinburgh led a study recently that suggests novelty of experience creates long-term memories. Our brains recall both a moment of surprise and the moments around it far better than anything that seems rote or redundant. When we encounter something exciting and new, our brains release a little hit of dopamine, which, among other things, aids in the formation of memories. We can then recall that new thing and the things around it. Interesting. This is known as behavioral tagging. Behavioral tagging is a very important concept for every business on the planet to understand. When we're surprised, when our audience, our customers, our clients are surprised, that experience that did the surprising and the surrounding experiences get imprinted onto our brains, creating an unusually long-lasting memory. This is an evolutionary trait. When our ancestors stumbled onto a field in the middle of the woods, full of delicious berries, it would be rather advantageous to remember the path they took to those berries, even if at the time they weren't consciously trying to do so. They remembered the surprise, the berries, and the stuff around the surprise. Also useful is to know that if you turn left, you hit a bunch of deadly snakes instead of a nice delicious snack. In more modern times, this is obviously less survival-based, but just as powerful in our brains. For example, students who get a surprise in their classroom, maybe a, a visit from like Michael Jordan, will remember the math lesson they have later in the day far better than students who just had the typical day. The same could unfortunately be said of something terrible, by the way. Uh, if you have something terrible happen in your school or you know, there's a reason we all remember where we were on 9-11, for example, it just has to be a surprise, a novel experience, and that cements a long-term memory. 
But the good news here is that the surprise doesn't need to be Michael Jordan. It doesn't have to be something big and radical. It doesn't have to be a stunt for people to remember us. In fact, the researchers with those students found out that just by them taking an unexpected music lesson before their math lesson, they remembered the math lesson more compared to those who didn't get the music class. You don't need to pull a stunt or hire a celebrity. Small surprises can create a positive, long-lasting memory for us, and that means instead of launching somebody from the precipice of space and back into orbit and calling that brand marketing, you can just, I don't know, splice in a funny little cutaway to a colleague doing something silly in your video. To create long-term memories, all we need are small, novel innovations. That's what innovation means. It doesn't mean big. It doesn't mean radical. It doesn't mean transformative. It just means new. I I think about tone of voice in, say, B2B content. Tone of voice is such an underused idea for most B2B organizations. I love what Doug Kessler, the co-founder and creative director of Velocity Partners in the UK and New York, I love what Doug is talking about right now when it comes to tone of voice. He wrote this great article, I'll link it in the show notes, on why B2B companies should be using and harnessing their tone of voices more often. He says this about the use of tone of voice. When you consume a piece of content, the things you learn from it make a small impact that fades pretty quickly. So therein, you have this idea that if you're just learning the facts, well, that goes away pretty quickly. It's not surprising, nothing novel about it. But your feelings about the communicator in particular, that tone of voice, oh, wow, this is so refreshing to read, that makes a bigger impact, Doug says, that lasts longer. And he doesn't know it, but he's speaking to this idea of behavioral tagging. Unbelievably innovative, not unbelievably big. Remember, innovative does not mean big at all. It just means novel. Small but consistent changes are all we need to innovate. And if we're going to be loved, we first need to be remembered. And that's never been harder than today's era of distraction. And if we're going to be remembered, we first need to provide small but consistent novel experiences. So our biggest existential threat isn't making the wrong giant change. Our biggest existential threat is we're not making enough changes. It's in changing after it's too late. We practice reactive innovation, those random acts of creativity. We've dropped off the cliff well past the crapping point. We squeeze something for all it's got. Now it doesn't work anymore. And now we have to go, ah, what do we do? So how can we innovate consistently in a more sustainable way than random last ditch efforts? Well, what if we were proactive about changing our work, proactive about refreshing it instead of reactive? If we usually evolve only after something stops working, What if we did something that might seem a little crazy at first until you reason out everything we're talking through today? What if, instead of changing after something stops working, we change what's working while it's still working? What if we were consistently innovative? We don't talk about this enough, but consistency is sexy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Consistency is sexy. I mean, give me a brand that really knows how to evolve with me, you know? Because I am a grown-ass man. (laughs) All right, ridiculous. Here's what I really mean to say. Consistent innovation doesn't create random spikes. It shifts the trajectory of the entire damn 
line. That's pretty sexy. So how can we do that? The one skill we've been exploring all year long can serve us right here. The art of reinvention. The process of consistent discovery designed to deliver increasingly innovative approaches over time. The art of reinvention. That means when something is working, we proactively explore it more. We build on it. We evolve it. We don't set it and forget it. We investigate it. That valet service in Boston should ask, why are people so happy when they get their car faster? Well, it's not just the fact that they saved time. It's what they can do with that time. It's because you get to go about your day better wherever you're visiting. Okay, so how else might they make your trip to Boston better? They could try to deliver your car in less than five minutes, then two, then zero, but that becomes unsustainable. So instead, maybe they could hand you a warm cookie while you wait or offer a drink to make your wait more enjoyable. Or maybe they can save you time in other ways, not just by waiting for the car. They can ask when you first arrive, are you there for work or for play? Jot that down, and the next time they see you, hand you a little one-sheeter with ways to maximize your time there, given why you're visiting Boston. They can reinvent the experience overall, not by pulling a huge stunt and calling that innovation, but through the process of consistent discovery designed to deliver increasingly innovative approaches. They can master the art of reinvention consistently, making small and novel changes because novelty is what we need, not giant stunts. And novel doesn't mean big. Innovative doesn't mean big. They can master the art of reinvention. To do that, we have to answer three questions. When we need to change, what we need to change, and how to make the change. That's next time on the show. I would love your thoughts about what I'm poking down. I'm trying to summarize and synthesize all the stories, all the ideas, all the concepts that we've explored, both all year long on Unthinkable and elsewhere in my research and my writing. I'd love to hear from you. My email, again, is in the show notes. It's jay at unthinkablemedia.com. You can tweet me at jayakunzo. I really do benefit every time a single person says anything at all, anything whatsoever, good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. I'd love to hear from you. jay at unthinkablemedia.com or at jayakunzo. Remember, the real skill in a world of endless possibilities is knowing how to vet them. And that, my friend, is where your intuition matters a ton. So maybe, just maybe, the next time someone says you have to do something a certain way, trust your intuition. It might seem unthinkable from the outside looking in, but to you, it'll feel logical and smart. Because you are. I'll talk to you on the next episode of the show. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.